But I want to thank you most importantly that you came and you were crucified and that you had a sign mockingly put above your head um, and that you died and did all of that for us to forgive us for how we reject you and the people around us. And as we go into this Easter, God, I just want to ask that you please help us remember, you know, all the things that you've done and help us cling to you and your cross. But most importantly, help us remember that you rose from the dead as the king that conquered death. And um, again, we just want to give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We are going to turn on that back screen and we are going to do a um, worship sequence to start worship this morning all about um, praising the king to kind of set our hearts and minds for this Palm Sunday. Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Alleluia. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that seateth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Alleluia. That is from Revelations.
You may be seated.
stand and sing this as a prayer with us. Precious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, can that be our prayer right now, God, that you will use us and mold us and fill us, God, to be used in your hands, God, because ultimately you are the potter. And God, what's beautiful to me about you being the potter is that clay starts as a, as a block of nothing, God. Lord, it's cold, it's hard, and Lord, it's all up to the potter to make that into something beautiful, God. So Lord, I don't know how many of us I've come in here this morning, God, but I know there's some of us in this building, Lord, who are just a clump of cold, hard clay. And, Lord, we, we can't be formed into anything unless your hand's placed upon our life, God. So, Lord, may we each be put on that potter's wheel this morning and spun and molded and, Lord, filled into something that you want us to be, God. So, Lord, I just pray before we even continue our worship service this morning that you would have your way, God. Have, have thine way in our lives, Lord. And God, as we prepare our hearts for Easter next week, Lord, this Palm Sunday, may we honor and, and glorify and shout out Hosanna, God, because your, your son has come to save. But Lord, he, can't, he, he can save anybody, God, but we, we've got to let his hands be upon our life. So Lord, will you just, will you just pull the hearts that need to be pulled, Lord, and, and just, um, Lord, allow us to come to your altar this morning to say, Lord, I'm in your hands. Mold me into what you want me to be. I love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing Ferris Lord Jesus together.
going to sing one more song together before our sermon, and we're going to sing, We Will Glorify the King of Kings. dismissed at this time for Children's Church. Thank you, Catherine. Yes, yeah, the children leave, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Our sermon today is about the King's blessings. On Palm Sunday, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords rode into Jerusalem, mounted on a colt, a foal of a donkey, and they waved palm branches and they shouted, Hallelujah! As Catherine already mentioned, that means Lord save. The Old Testament prophesied that the King would ride into Jerusalem and be praised and worshipped. What was not as clearly seen was the fact that Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king in order to die as a sacrifice so that we might be forgiven and inherit the king's blessings. Someone has said you can draw a straight line from Jesus's entry into Jerusalem to the cross. He entered into Jerusalem and he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple. The temple sacrificial system, the central point of worship for the people of God, had become so corrupt that many commentators refer it to as a way for us to understand it as run by the mob. And that kind of helped me understand the corruption of the temple sacrificial system. So he chases away the money changers. Because they've just turned this thing into a profit machine. And that's when Jesus became justly angry and drove the money changers out. And he says, you have made this a robber's den. And this is to be a, a place of prayer for all nations and all people. So he began that holy week by riding into Jerusalem and cleansing the temple. 
And as we know, the rest of the story, on Friday, he dies as our atonement and as our sacrificial lamb. Then on, on the third day, on Sunday, he arose. So the rest of the New Testament begins to unfold for us what the blessings brought to us by the work of the king that week. And I think Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, especially since that's where we are next in the book, I think it does a really good job as we see this, as what Christ the King has brought to us through his work on our behalf. Especially on Friday and on Sunday. So let's start this passage here in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Uh, He starts with some pretty strong language for the Galatians. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, did he do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So we just looked at six consecutive, very personal, and very penetrating questions. If you'll remember the context, the Galatians were saying essentially that Jesus wasn't enough. They were wanting people to go back to the law and observe the law through physical outward rituals like circumcision... And Paul's saying, wait a second, you're being foolish. And so these questions were to open their eyes and their hearts and their minds to to see the foolish drift that they were taking. And so in verse 6, he brings out Abraham as an example. And he says, even so, Abraham, he believed God... And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, he's quoting from the Old Testament, All the nations shall be blessed in you. Isn't that an interesting verse? The scripture preached the gospel to Abraham foreseeing in advance the gospel. Verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. 
So he's picturing these blessings that come to those who believe. And it's the same blessings that were promised to Father Abraham. Then in verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For, quote, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, quote, he who practices them shall live by them. So Paul is using the Old Testament scriptures to make his point that it's always been justification by grace through faith. Look at 13. Christ redeemed us. He purchased us out of the marketplace, out of slavery. That is a redemptive term, obviously, because it has redeemed in it. But you see, our focus this morning in this text is on the cross of Christ and and what the cross of Christ achieved for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Through Christ, the blessings that God promised to Abraham are available in Jesus and through the work that he's done. In the end of verse 14, and we'll stop there because that's more than enough. Look at how he concludes this section. So that we might receive a gift. A gift. So we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Father, thank you for the gift of the gospel, the gift of faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand in a clearer and deeper way all that Christ has made available to us now through the cross, through the resurrection, through the availability of the Holy Spirit. Father, all of Abraham's blessings can be ours by by being in solidarity with Christ, by being united to Christ by faith. Help us, Lord, not only to see that and hear that, but be encouraged by it and and, and line up our lives and adjust our lives to, to what this means for us personally and for the world around us and for our future. Thank you, Father, that when the king rode into Jerusalem and the the children were, were waving palm branches and saying, Lord, save that Father Christ delivered the payment. He delivered the salvation. He became a curse so that we might become a blessing and receive a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the blessings of my childhood is I grew up not far from one of my grandmother's. My grandmother Lois, my grandfather N.V. I talk a lot about my grandparents because my grandparents were very influential in my life and God really blessed me with two wonderful sets of grandparents. So because my grandmother Lois lived so close, we were in and out all the time. 
But if we begin to withdraw, and if we begin to not show up quite so often as we once did, let's just use me as an example and my brother as an example. My grandmother had a saying, and some of you may be familiar with the saying. She would say, what's wrong with Neil? Is he on a spell or something? <laughs> Any of y'all ever use that phraseology? Oh no, he's on a spell. <laughs> hadn't seen him in a few weeks, hadn't called, you know, hadn't dropped by. <laughs> I guess we got to wait till he gets over his spell. Now, that's strange language. But did you notice in the book of Galatians that that's the very language that is used to describe the Galatians? In verse 1, Paul pulls no punches back. He says, you are being foolish. Now, an even stronger translation comes from J.B. Phillips. Listen to what J.B. Phillips says about that word and about this phrase. He says we could interpret it like this. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. I know, right? Can you even say that from the pulpit? Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Surely you cannot be so idiotic. But we need that kind of language to drive home the, the depth of foolishness and non-thinking and non-discernment that it means for people to, to embrace the gospel and then depart from the gospel, it's as if someone, he says, has bewitched you. Now, do you remember some of you the show, Bewitched? As a child, I watched a lot of Bewitched reruns. <laughs> Yeah, that's, what, that's what's wrong with me. But that was about magic and spells. In fact, the Greek word for bewitched means, has someone cast a spell over you? Has someone cast a spell on you that you would forsake the cross of Christ and the gospel of Jesus, and the grace that has become available. You foolish Galatians. Now, isn't it interesting that the Judaizers, who were very deceptive, there's a dark side to this. And when I studied this this week, it's as if Paul is saying, yes, there has been a supernatural spell cast on them through the false teaching of the Judaizers. So there is supposed to be a sense of uh, the dark side, so to speak, and their minds are being deceived by who? By the father of lies, Jesus himself. So their foolishness was not a neutral matter. It was very serious. When Paul says, oh foolish Galatians, he, he's, getting, he's getting emotional. He has a mood of indignation and concern. 
This word again, and I'm kind of hung up on it, I guess, bewitched, it means to harm someone, to harm someone by means of a hostile look or giving someone an evil eye, casting a spell and unleashing demonic forces. It's to be the object of a sinister supernatural ploy, holding someone spellbound by some irresistible power. What will break the spell? Now, sometimes in my life, not only in relationship to my grandmother growing up, but let's be real. Sometimes we look back on a season of life and we would say to ourselves, what in the world was I thinking? How foolish. How dangerous. How unwise. Paul then asked a series of six questions that he knows. These are truthful, these are God-centered, they're gospel-centered, and these are the questions that he asked them in order to break the spell. So look at verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes... Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now this too is an interesting phrase. Because how in the world did the Galatians see Christ publicly portrayed as crucified? This phrase means, a way for us to understand it, is he was placarded as if on a billboard publicly for all to see. That ought to cut a nerve. Because when you drive up and down 27, or when you travel any interstate in Georgia, man, there are billboards everywhere. And those billboards are giving you information. And those billboards want you to make adjustments. Exit right here (laughs) and spend money with us. Now, how was Christ publicly placarded before the Galatians as crucified? Apparently, it was through the preaching of the gospel, which Paul had already done among the Galatians. So when we preach Christ crucified, it goes into our ears and affects our heart and opens the eyes of our heart in order to clearly see Jesus Christ placarded for us in order to redeem us and break the spell and give the Spirit into our hearts and our lives. Here's my point just from the beginning. There is nothing more important for you and me than to keep the cross of Christ before our hearts and our eyes and our ears. Without ever getting to the other five questions, question number one is enough. Because sometimes I'm on a spell and it is my foolish pride that has me bewitched. And I begin to think more highly of myself than I ought to. And I begin to feel quite invincible. 
and quite great and good. And I've noticed that when I do things like that, I start making some bad decisions that affect me and other people. And then there are some times when I feel low and discouraged and depressed. But have you ever noticed that when the cross of Christ comes back to the forefront of your heart and mind, that if you're proud, it begins to humble you and break the spell of pride in our lives? It corrects us in that way. And have you ever noticed that when you hear the preaching of the cross, that it encourages you and it lifts you up and it gives you hope and love and strength? Who has bewitched you? Who has you under a spell? What will break the spell? The good news that when Christ in humility rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as king, that that king came to die to set us free. That king, king came to die to break me from the spell of any darkness, any deception, that king coming in was God to die for me. Somebody asked me on the way into church this morning, how did the egg hunt go Wednesday night? I thought the egg hunt went great. We had several visitors from the community come. Uh, a lot of people cooked and served and prepared. And one of the things that Bryson asked me to do was to share what I usually do every year, and that's the resurrection egg sequence where... We've got a dozen eggs, and each child will come up and open an egg, and, and inside the egg is a, is, a, is a whip. And then inside another egg is a spear, and inside another egg are nails. And I got to thinking as I'm dealing here with little preschool kids and, and, and kids sixth grade and fifth grade and under that this is pretty gruesome stuff. <laughs> And then you get to the resurrection and it all becomes clear as to why you're sharing the gruesome stuff. But just kind of on, on the fly, I, I said to the children, why in churches like ours is the cross so prominently displayed in the center? Why is it there? And out of the mouth of babes, because I loved what one little girl sitting on the front row said Wednesday night. She said, because it was God. And I thought that's exactly what it was. It's the wisdom of God. The power of God. The salvation of God. All centered on the cross of Christ. Let's jump ahead to the good news though. Would the cross of Christ remain central in the life of the church and the life of the Christian? Had he not risen from the dead? I think not. But on Good Friday, the victory was won. And on Sunday morning, the victory was proclaimed and heralded and placarded up on a billboard for all of us to turn and make whatever adjustments we need to make in our lives. So Paul very quickly takes them to the cross in order to give them the wisdom from God that they need to break them from the spell of choosing to rely on or depending on or casting themselves on 
anything besides the cross of Christ for their forgiveness and for their salvation. Our greatest need is to have the cross of Christ placarded before us publicly in order to grasp our heart and mind. And this happens through the year. Look at verse 2. Not only does Paul take them to the cross of Christ, but in verse 2 he takes them to the gift of the Holy Spirit. The second question of the six is in verse 2. He says this is the only, you know, this sometimes is how you will hear people personally questioning you. (laughs) Hey, just one thing I want to know. What were you doing over there? Kind of zero in and nail it down. Look at verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, then the Galatians just start turning to themselves and say, well, by hearing with faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And apparently, when we hear with faith, in the same moment we receive the Holy Spirit of God. When the word of God is preached and it goes through your ears and you receive it and you believe it, God through that process gives you nothing less than himself. So one thing that breaks the spell is the cross of Christ. The other gift that breaks the spell is the very spirit of God. The life of God in the souls of men. And he actually has three questions revolving around the Spirit. The first one you just heard, did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing? Well, we can't work it up. I can't do enough good deeds. Cross enough T's or dot enough I's or the... By by the works of the the flesh shall no man be justified and shall no man receive the Spirit. But it is only hearing by faith. It is the gift of God. Then in verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? In other words, if you began by receiving the gospel and having the Holy Spirit living within you, are you then going to sustain yourself and become a disciple and grow in the faith and serve and give and love through the flesh? No, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So I'm certainly not going to be sustained by me. I'm not going to be sustained by my effort, but I'm totally dependent on the Spirit of God to sustain me and keep me and the great promises that He will. And then look at verse 5. Does He who provides the Spirit and works miracles, does He do that because of you and your merit and your abilities? and your No, He provides the Spirit by hearing with faith, just thinking. Jesus said, if you fathers know how to give good gifts to your children who ask, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
If you desire the Spirit, you ask the Father for the Spirit, and He bestows it upon us at our conversion. In fact, it is the Holy Spirit of God which leads you to conversion. So at this point in the sermon, I'm tempted to just open up the gift of the Spirit and tell us everything the Bible says about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That the Holy Spirit comes into our lives at the moment of conversion and salvation, and He gives the Spirit without measure. And the question is not whether or not I have more of the Spirit. The question is whether or not the Spirit has more of me. Has more of me. So this tells us, and this is how Paul puts it, the cross of Christ is an event that has abiding results which are now fresh and valid and available because of the work of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on Golgotha, but that finished work and event is still at work now, and He now, through the Spirit, is bringing the cross and bringing salvation and bringing, sustaining all fresh and powerful and relevant in our hearts and minds today because of the work of the Spirit today. That's why Paul could say, Christ lives in me. How? Through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the cross is a historical event with abiding results for all who will hear with faith. So God give me ears to hear. And God grant me eyes to see. The emphasis again is on hearing with faith. So rather than go through a long list of all the ways the Holy Spirit ministers to us in the life of the believer, I'm going to move on. Just know that the Holy Spirit brings all of God into all of you. And He convicts you, He leads you, He guides you, He comforts you, He sustains you. On and on and on. We are nothing without the Spirit of God. But He grants the gift and blessing of the Spirit because He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And to those who hear with faith, He gives the Holy Spirit of God. So Galatians, how did you get the Spirit? Your works or God's work? The answer has to be only God. And then coming to more of a conclusion, he then brings, uh, Paul's a terrific lawyer, because who were the Judaizers worshiping and idolizing? Well, Moses and Abraham, the patriarchs. So he uses Abraham to make the point that Abraham didn't work for what he was blessed with, but God gave it to him as a gift. And he refers to a passage in Genesis 15 where Abraham was doubting. God, we're so old. How are you going to bless us with children and seed? And all, you, you, you promised that all the nations are going to be blessed through, through us. Have you looked at us? <laughs> Have you checked my birth certificate? <laughs> and God takes Abraham out and shows him the stars. He placards publicly before Abraham's eyes, the glory of creation. And the Bible says that Abraham looked up and believed God, and he was reckoned as righteous. And what Paul is saying, to cut to the chase, 
is that when you and I look up to Christ crucified and we believe God, we too are reckoned as righteous. As righteous as God is. Abraham was counted righteous by faith, by looking up in faith. And you and I also are counted righteous because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we have the blessing of the cross and the blessing of the Spirit. We have the blessing of righteousness. And let me close by this. The blessing of redemption means not only does Christ and the cross have the power to break the spell, but even more importantly, Jesus Christ is the only one who can break the curse. This is a strange passage. You're talking about spells and curses. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be under a spell than under a curse. Curse just sounds worse. But let me clearly state what this passage is saying. All of us by nature, because we have failed to keep the law, we are under a curse. A curse that cannot be broken by any of us. The Bible says that creation, because of the fall and because of sin, is under a curse. Who's going to break the curse? Well, let me say this. Jesus not only bore the curse, even more so, he became a curse. And there's a difference. He enters into Jerusalem. And he is bearing the suffering and the shame and the guilt and the trial. And on the cross of Christ, Jesus not only absorbed our sin and our debt and guilt, but he became a curse in that he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that moment on the cross, as darkness enveloped the earth... Jesus was becoming cursed by God for us so that we might inherit and become a blessing. That's what happened on the cross of Christ. Jesus was cursed. He was cursed by God. And He was cursed by God for us. Now, I can't go into the ways that Paul you know, stresses this and stretches this, but I don't want us to leave this morning without grasping to a greater degree that Jesus didn't just die for my sins, but he became a curse. Now, throughout the Old Testament, if a man committed a crime, the law demanded that he be stoned. And after they were stoned, they were hung on a tree to basically demonstrate that anyone who has broken the law and died according to the law, they're going to be strung up publicly because these people are cursed. What did Jesus do for us on Calvary? He was strung up publicly as a God-cursed man for us. And in that intersection, you and I see the holiness of God 
we see the depth of human sin, but we also see His amazing grace. So I'm back where I started. Man, if you were to go back to your own heart and life and ask yourself those six questions, where would you be? Times when we're on a spell, either through pride or despair. Times like when the lady asked me one time, a lady in our church, this is several years ago, she had several significant, difficult things happen. There were health issues, there were emotional issues, there were betrayal issues within her family. She's not here this morning, so don't look around. In fact, she hasn't been in quite a while. And I really felt the pastor's weight and my inability to help her solve and fix everything. And she said, Pastor Neil, are, are we under a curse? Are we under a curse? And I don't know how I answered her in that moment. But in all honesty, all of us, apart from Christ, are under a curse. All who break the law are under a curse. All who fail to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength remain under a curse. The Bible says that creation itself is under a curse, and it's longing. It traces itself all the The curse began all the way back with Adam and Eve. Who breaks the curse? Who breaks the power of canceled sin? It's Christ our Redeemer, and He breaks it by becoming a substitutionary vicarious atonement. So what do we do? We trust and rely fully and only upon salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we cast ourselves upon the finished work of Jesus, which includes the resurrection of Jesus. And then and only then is the curse and the spell broken. And then we begin to enjoy the blessings, the blessings of the King. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that you love us in, in such a deep and powerful way that upon the cross of Christ was this, was this crash of the holiness of God, the sin of man, and the, and, and the love of God, and, and all that was upon the heart of Jesus Christ. May this lead us to wisdom rather than foolishness, humility rather than pride, encouragement rather than despair, life rather than death, faith rather than works, and hearing rather than completely dismissing and ignoring and hardening our hearts to your word. Continue to do your work in us. If we have preached the cross of Christ this morning, Lord, may you use the gospel, your gospel, to draw people to you today for salvation, for sustaining grace, and for hope for a new heaven and a new earth in which no curse is found. No curse is found. You've come to make your blessings flow far as the curse is found. Thank you for that grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
This is absolutely true. There's room at the cross for you. You come as we sing. If you have a decision you want to make public, if you have a prayer request here at our altar, you can pray with me or here with someone else. If you desire to join our church, be baptized, you come as we sing. All those are available.
this morning I'd like to present to you an angel. That's literally her name. <laughs> Miss Angel. Miss Angel, let me remember, Swander. Swanger. That's better. Okay. Miss Angel Swanger. She's been attending our church for some time now, and she met me this morning and desires to join our church and to be baptized. We had a great conversation. God's really been moving and working in her life through prayer and through scripture and church attendance. She's been coming with Mr. Warren Nash back there a good bit, and uh, she knows Darrell Langley. In fact, I'm going to ask Darrell to come on down here and stand with her. And Warren, not to hold back, why don't you come down here also, brother? And so she desires to profess her faith. She was saved at 15. She's a born-again believer, and she desires to be baptized. She's never been baptized. So what's the, what's the pleasure of Glenlock Baptist Church? I have a second. All in favor, let me know by saying amen. 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 So we discussed this, and we're going to have a baptism on Easter Sunday. What a joy that will be. All right? Um. Before we close, don't forget Annie Armstrong Easter offering. I also want to let you know that Tony Lane's mother, O'Leary Lane, did real well with her surgery, and they got good news. So praise the Lord for, for that blessing. Um, Catherine, why don't you close us out and share anything related that I might have forgotten. Uh, I pray, Miss Angel, that we will be a church where love abounds for you and that you will find here a, a home that loves you and cares about you. So all of us are committing today to be that kind of pastor and church in your life. So thank you for joining us this morning. After we have our benediction, those of you who would like to, come by and welcome her into our church family. Thank you, Warren and Durell, for standing by her side. So there are no services tonight or Wednesday, but service of darkness at 6 on Friday. Seven on Friday. If you get here at six, you'll be on time, though. So, service of darkness at seven on Friday. Sunrise at seven. Look, we're just staying with sevens, the number of completion. Sunrise at seven on Easter Sunday, followed by normal Sunday school and worship at 1030. We do have guys in the back with offering plates for um, Annie Armstrong. Thank you. We're going to sing... Um, just this praise one more time together. We will glorify. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I am. Y'all have a wonderful week.